Mr. Jim Crow. <laughs> you can you can call it whatever you want, Father. <laughs> the the to our gathered podcast audience with Father Jim Crow and Father and Jim Bellows. And me, Father Rob Kroll. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Father. How are you? Oh, I couldn't be better. I couldn't we be We get better. a couple in a row. That's exciting. It is, yeah. We might even be able to do another one. Three in a row. Look at that. So, no, wow. we'll, we'll be okay for a while. <laughs> I've got some... Um, I've got one in the can... Another one in the can with uh, Father Brian. Oh, okay. And he... Ca- <laughs> I'm going to have him do our next... Uh, intro because it's really funny okay okay excellent he, he, he was trying to do our intro like four or five times during our podcast yeah and it was pretty funny we should it's have a good. bloopers it's... uh section or something oh my goodness we couldn't release that nobody would ever listen to us again <laughs> well anyway <laughs> what's new and exciting uh nothing nothing, nothing new and exciting here no. um Things are all pretty much the same. How about you? Anything new and exciting? Uh, we've got a, a high school vocation camp going on at our seminary. Started last night and goes through uh, sometime on Wednesday. So we've got, I think it's like 35 high school students running around the seminary property. And um, that's that's an awesome thing. Um, yeah. And I'm going to be going off next week um, to help direct some people in a 30-day silent retreat based on the spiritual exercises of saint ignatius loyola so that's a and you're just gonna drop off the face of the earth no no i'll have time to still uh connect with you on the podcast i think but um, you think oh yeah i mean this this retreat direction will will occupy my morning and maybe early afternoon but i think we'll be able to to keep going get an hour here there oh yeah yeah we'll do it we'll make it happen one way or the other but uh, yeah, that's exciting. It's a group of uh, priests and religious sisters and seminarians. Uh, there's, I think, four of us, and we have 20 retreatants total down at Mundelein uh-huh. Seminary near Chicago. So yeah, that'll be good. I appeal for prayers during the month of July for all of us doing that retreat. Well, we will do that. All right. And you know, if you're doing some podcasts, we can we can make that our intention. Excellent. And if you're not, we'll still pray for you. Uh, well, hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about my uh, my ukulele student? Uh, if you did, that that little uh, suggestion is not calling it to mind. So, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've talked about it on air. So probably there's, not. There's that. We have a whole new audience. So I've got a ten year old ukulele student. Her name's Georgia, and this is the most adorable child you've ever seen mm. in your life. And uh, she's getting really good on ukulele. I've been teaching her for a couple of years. Uh-huh. And um, about a week ago, we started taking the next step into some more intermediate ukulele training uh-huh. and, and some techniques that she's got to work on and some complicated uh, strum patterns and things like that. And so we're working on this song, and it's uh, some song from a Disney film. I don't remember what it is but uh so i'm, I'm trying frozen. to no it wasn't frozen okay. we've done frozen okay. we did we did i learned um do you want to build a snowman and had no <laughs> idea that this was the saddest sign on the planet <laughs> 
It's like, oh, do you want to build a snowman? Right. Well, this would be fun. <laughs> Title oh sounds optimistic, right? This is so. I mean, I was crying in the middle of learning this oh. song. It was very sad. It is. So um, I'm trying to explain um, this complicated strum pattern to her, and she's playing, and she's just focused. She's mm-hmm. just strumming along. And then after a couple of minutes, she stops, and I looked at her and said, you know what, Georgia? Sometimes I think um, when, when I'm talking to you, you're thinking, be quiet, Mr. Jim. I'm trying to play right now. And she looks up at me, and she goes, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so you're a mind reader and a ukulele she's, expert. She's, and I have a very snarky student. Yes, yes. Well, hey, uh, you that's why you get along so well with her. You you know, you like you like to banter and be uh, insulting in your humor. And she does that, and then I just, I want to buy her a pony. It's just, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, say anyway. So what are we talking about today, Father? Are we going we gonna to cover some topics, or are we just going to talk about <laughs> ukulele students? Um, we could probably fill up a podcast about the ukulele, but I think it's probably best if we <laughs> shift focus at this point, because we decided that we wanted to talk today about the Sacred Heart of Jesus and also the Immaculate Heart of Mary, um, partly because this whole month of June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart, and because we recently celebrated the particular feast of the Sacred Heart and the feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So it's an opportunity to kind of uh, talk about not just the liturgical feasts, but more generally about this devotion to the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary, which are have become very popular uh, in our Catholic imagination and our Catholic practice. So that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. How are we going to start? Well, let's see. Maybe we can just begin by acknowledging the fact that this devotion, really twin devotion, I mean, they're often um, they're often joined together. The Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In fact, they're celebrated just a day apart. Uh, The Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus always falls 19 days after Pentecost, and and that ends up being the third Friday uh, after Pentecost. So this year it was on June 11th. And then the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary celebration is the next day. So it was Saturday, June 12th this year. So they're kind of linked liturgically, but also devotionally. A lot of people have in their homes... Uh, an image or a statue of both the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, right. They're not, you know, they're a little bit, I mean, they're a little bit different, obviously, but uh, but anyway, we thought it'd be good to, in, in the podcast today just to explore uh, both of these, and especially the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which has become uh, very popular, uh, you know, in the last couple of centuries, actually. Um, we, uh, probably a lot of us listening, um, have seen the Sacred Heart on, you know, buildings like Catholic institutions. There's a lot of Catholic parishes named for the Sacred Heart, uh, schools, right. colleges, um, hospitals, um, numerous religious orders are named after the Sacred Heart. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like percolated throughout our Catholic world. And um, and I think most people are familiar with the image of the heart of, of the Sacred Heart of Jesus as well. I think in the Bible too, you know, you talk about Aristotle and certain philosophers. I think in the Bible, there's a lot of language around the heart, and and in in, in the scriptures, the heart is always like the uh, deepest core or essential 
uh, identity of the person. It's kind of like the deepest uh, part of the human being. And so that would make sense that it would be kind of the seat of uh, not only our emotional life, but also our spiritual life and our will. And, um, and then, like you mentioned, you alluded to the fact that uh, in the scriptures and the Gospels we have, in John's Gospel in particular, this uh, detail about a spear being uh, thrust into Jesus' side and, and piercing his heart. Right. Um, and then we hear you know, words of Jesus, language of the heart from him, like in Matthew 28, uh, that familiar verse about, Come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome, and I will refresh you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And we might remember the moment in John's Gospel where the beloved disciple, John himself, uh, leans against the chest of Jesus, and there's kind of that intimacy. He's, he is the beloved uh, disciple and is able to draw close to the heart of Christ, uh, beating inside his, his chest. So, yeah, so I think for a variety of reasons, uh, the heart came to be seen as a really powerful symbol of several things. First of all, God's great and passionate love for, you know, his children, um, but also Jesus's uh, compassion. Um, he goes to the cross, you know, on our behalf and assumes all of that uh, torturous uh, death on, upon himself for our salvation. Um, it's also, obviously, like you said, the heart is kind of associated with love, so it's a reminder not only of God's love for us, but also of kind of our vocation to love after the heart of Jesus, so it's a challenge to us to love our neighbor uh, as well as love God. What I find interesting <clears throat> is is that while it's uh, philosophers were talking about this and attributing this to the heart before, um, Christ confirms this now with, you know, the sacred heart and with what he's saying. He's not, he's, it's, I, I don't see Jesus like, you know, being like, well, everybody else is saying it, so I'm going to say it too. Right. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that just struck me as interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and if you look at the image, I mean, there, there's lots of different, uh, paintings and icons, like you said, of the Sacred Heart. So there's a lot we could choose from if we're looking for one to put. Like I've got one, kind of a modern one here in my office, uh, right next to me. And um, so they vary, but the but the essential image is always the same. It involves first of all a a heart that is on the outside of the chest, which of course anatomically is not correct. Uh, our hearts are protected by you know, our, our rib cage and sternum. But I think that already is symbolic because by putting it on the outside of the chest, it's, um, it's saying, you know, Jesus is saying my heart is vulnerable and I'm, I'm putting my heart out there for you. So he's making himself, you know, in love, there's always risk. And so he's kind of putting his heart out there, as it were, uh, to be wounded. And then we see that the heart is, in fact, wounded by the crown of thorns that uh, surrounds it. And usually there's a little cross placed at the top of the heart just to remind us of uh, the Lord's wounds and, and the passion that he underwent for us out of love. But it's always a heart shown with um, flames coming out of it. And so it's a furnace of love. And uh, so there's something passionate and uh, loving about this heart as well. So there's... There's a lot of symbolism uh, in you know in this image, and uh, I think it's why people are so often so drawn to it and want to put an image of this um, in their home. 
Well, and when remember when we talked about Eucharistic miracles, that uh, every um, scientific study that's been done mm-hmm. involving the flesh that uh, is formed from the Eucharistic miracles of the, uh, has always been from uh, the scientists have always said it was from the heart. Yeah, cardi- heart cardiac muscle. muscle. Yeah, right. It's always mm-hmm. cardiac muscle. Yep, yep, for sure. So. And I never considered this stuff before. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, like the Sacred Heart of Jesus, it wasn't. Um, I I was I went to confession one time, and a, a, a priest I was talking about uh, a friend of mine that that was uh, that I was worried about, and and he he was like, "Well, you, you need to put both of you in uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary." Yeah. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you and I were about the same age, and we uh, grew up, I think, at a time after the Vatican Council when uh, the Sacred Heart, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and some of these other devotions were not exactly, you know, removed, but they were certainly downplayed, I think. Um, They were seen as just being overly you know, saccharin or syrupy or something like that. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, there are some images of the Sacred Heart that I find a bit, yeah, just too, I don't know if I'd say sugary or pious, but, but I think um, there's lots of images that I, I really do like. And I think it's a, it's a devotion that has kind of reemerged, um, you know, among younger people um, for the reasons that we just described. So, you know, as is often the case in the history of the Church, sometimes a particular devotions or practices are kind of in vogue for a time, and then maybe they go seemingly go out of style, but then they're rediscovered and perhaps purified a bit of some of their, uh, you know, accretions, but what, what's essential about it remains. And so, yeah, I think this is a great uh, devotion to promote. Um, in fact, what I'm kind of excited about in talking about this today in the podcast is that this devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is very much associated with my religious order, the Society of Jesus, because the main saint to whom this devotion and the, and the particular details of the devotion was revealed by Jesus is Saint uh, Margaret Mary Alacoque, a, a French nun, and her spiritual director was a Jesuit, also a saint now, Saint Claude de la Colombière. And so out of that came this uh, movement within the Jesuits to promote uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And, um, and also, one of the, pa- the patron of the seminary where I work, Saint Francis de Sales, he, he was also very devoted to the Sacred Heart. He lived before Saint Margaret Mary, but he, uh, he wrote about, um, in his own spiritual writings, he wrote about the Heart of Jesus. And see, he, he was kind of one of the early promoters of this before it became kind of a, kind of an official and universal devotion so well let me ask you a personal question mm-hmm. um did your um love for everything french and french saints come after you became a jesuit and you learned about it or was it there before and then just was enhanced uh, mm-hmm. by you becoming a jesuit um, I would say that it, it already started because of the fact that in high school and college I had uh, studied French and was learning French, although I don't have a lot of memories of my French teachers, you know, focusing on specifically the, uh, you know, kind of the French Catholicism. It was more just about the language and so forth. But but what really did it for me, I think, was not only becoming a Jesuit, but specifically spending three years in Paris as a young Jesuit. So I, I did three years of studies 
uh, in Paris. And so, you know, at that time, I mean, I lived in the shadow of the very famous Sacré-Cœur Basilica, the, the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in the Montmartre part of Paris. So I could go there, you know, with some frequency. And um, Paray le Monial is a, a town in Burgundy in eastern France where Margaret Mary lived as a visitation nun. It's, it's there where she had all these private revelations from Jesus that began the devotion in a formal way. And then uh, now there's a big basilica there that's one of the most frequented uh, religious sites in, in France. So I think it was really being in France that helped to kind of, you know, make this come alive for me more. But it was being a Jesuit that took you to France. And correct, correct. Oh. And, and also knowing, like, one of my good friends as a Jesuit, uh, Father Jim Kabicki, um, he was in charge. Does he listen to us? Should we say hi? Um, hi, Father Jim. Hi, Father Jim. <laughs> We're going to make you listen to this whether you want to or not. Um, he, for a this time. This is how we'll get new listeners. <laughs> right, we'll we just, just call them out by name, <laughs> and then they'll have to listen. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll guilt them into listening. Um, so, Father Jim was head of what was it then called the uh, Apostleship of Prayer. It's now been renamed uh, the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network, which I don't particularly care for the title. But anyway, both organ—I mean, it's the same organization, and one of its main uh, thrusts is the promotion of the Sacred Heart. And there's a newsletter that is, uh, you know, distributed to the members of this organization. I mean, there's literally tens of millions of people that um, belong to this. Uh, group and who say like a daily offering every morning and part of that offering invokes the sacred heart of Jesus too so yeah so I think like you were saying being a Jesuit and on top of it studying in France where so much of this began uh, that those those things helped me to appreciate the devotion more would this be a a good time to uh, tell us about uh, um, it was uh, a saint uh, Margaret Mary, is that Margaret right? Margaret Mary Alacoque. Yeah, we, could, we yeah. could do that. Well, and maybe what I could do is just briefly go even like before talking about her, because she is the one that is most associated with this devotion right. and, the, and the way that we do it today. Can we jump in ahead? Well, uh, no, I wouldn't I say that. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> I would, I'm just I'm gonna, going to the end of the book. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. But leading up to her, we, we can kind of see certain like precursors of this of this devotion and and she kind of came along and built upon them and so you know like even in the middle ages without there being an official sacred heart devotion yet um we kind of see in certain religious orders like the benedictines and the cistercians in their monasteries there was already kind of a kind of like the first beginnings of a devotion to the sacred heart they kind of focused they would have called it more a focus on the five wounds of christ and People that I'm sure some of our listeners have heard of, like St. Bernard of Clairvaux and, of course, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Bonaventure, another Franciscan. So they, they had also, like, a, personally a very deep devotion to the passion of Jesus Christ. Right. And then along with that would naturally come a, a focus on these sacred wounds. And so we kind have of, very intelligent listeners, so they probably know all about Oh, I'm probably only, I'm just, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm telling them. No, you're preaching to me, Father. Okay. All right. So <laughs> all right. You, can, you can inform me about all this. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then there were some other, you know, like there was actually a few uh, women religious um, in the Middle Ages that had kind of mystical visions of the heart of Jesus. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody like St. Gertrude the Great. She was actually invited in one of her apparitions to rest her head near the wound in Jesus' side. And, and she claims that she could, part of this mystical experience was hearing his heart beating, uh, for example. So anyway, there's a number of saints and religious that along the way are beginning to have uh, apparitions about the heart of Jesus. They're starting in their spiritual writings to mention it more often. I already mentioned St. Francis de Sales, so he's a more like a 16th century figure. Uh, and then we get up to St. Mary, uh, Margaret Mary Alacoc, and as I mentioned, she's a nun of the Order of the Visitation of Mary. This is an order that still exists, and it was founded, co-founded by St. Francis de Sales and um, uh, St. Uh, Jane Francis de Chantal. Uh, they were very good friends, and then they were collaborated together in founding this, uh, this order of nuns in the uh, 17th century. And uh, she had a number of visions over the course of about 18 months between 1673 and 1675. And it's really out of these visions that she received at Paray Le Monial, her convent there, that, uh, that the m devotion as we know it today uh, took shape. And so Jesus very explicitly mentioned to her that he wanted a feast of the Sacred Heart. He mentioned um, that he wanted people to receive uh, Holy Communion, go to Mass and receive Holy Communion on nine First Fridays, nine consecutive First Fridays. That's something, too, that some people might, might know about today, but I think often has gotten kind of lost. And then he also asked her to do some acts of reparation on behalf of the love of Jesus. He also revealed to her like these 12 promises. He said, if you, know, if you were to uh, become devoted to my Sacred Heart and if you were to put an image of the Sacred Heart in your home, uh, there would be a number of promises that would come true for uh, a person. I'm not going to name all 12, but the ones that are probably more well-known are things like, I will establish peace in their families, I will comfort them in their trials. Uh, I will bless every place where an image of my heart is exposed and honored. And there's one particular promise for us priests. He says, I will give priests the power to touch the most hardened hearts. So I think all of this just kind of, it really took fire. I mean, after her apparitions, it wasn't too long before um, the devotion really picked up uh, steam. And then various popes got involved, and they started writing encyclicals about it. And they, you know, they started, like, for example, in, uh, 1856, Pius IX took the Feast of the Sacred Heart, which had been kind of a local feast in France, and he extended it to the whole Latin Church. So it's a universal mm. feast now. You know, you mentioned uh, this encyclical um, on the on the Sacred Heart written by Pius uh, the the twelfth, right? And I think it was 1956. So, um, oh, I mentioned it before the podcast. Oh, I didn't okay. mention it during the oh, podcast. Okay, okay. But yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. I was I was thinking that. There you go. And you rightfully read my mind. <laughs> well, I can read minds too. So it's, um, it's a tough encyclical. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not uh, um, a Pope uh, Saint Pius the Twelfth uh, was no slouch. Yeah, it's not for um, the faint of heart, right? No. It's, it's not funnier on the podcast than it was before. No, it's, it hasn't gotten any yeah, funnier. It's, it's kind of we'll clever. It's kind of clever. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So anyway, I think um, it, it, it is a great it's a great opportunity today to just rediscover or maybe discover for the first time um, this uh, this devotion. And, and um, there's a lot of beautiful images out there that we can choose from, you know, in terms of if we want to put one in our home or put one on our desk at work or wherever. And, uh, and especially, you know, I think with, with children, I mean, they're, you know, that language of the heart, I think, is very appealing to them. And so to mm-hmm. kind of explain the devotion to them when they're younger, I think that can help them to then continue it as an adult. So, Well, I mean, it, the thing that's really intriguing, that, that touches me mm-hmm. in this whole thing, um, and I've tried to do... Um, the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, mm-hmm. and I've I've never made it through all the ones. <laughs> okay, it's just I mean I just uh, all of a sudden um, I'll be you know it'll be six o'clock on Friday and it's like oh my gosh this is a first Friday and yeah I, yeah so I get like two or three months and now the the um, the devotion to uh, the reparation to the Immaculate Heart. Is only five months since on Saturdays. It's the first Saturday. Right. And I was able to get through that one. Okay. Okay. So well, that's a start. I don't know how long that's good for. That's but yeah, it's it's a good <laughs> it's a good stepping stone. I'm going to give you a little tip, Jim. You know, you, if you have yeah. in your phone, you probably have a calendar, and you can actually put in a like first Friday event, and then they have this neat feature where you can repeat it for like. Nine months in a row, so it would just it would just be it's there so for nine consecutive months. <laughs> That's so wrong. I'm trying to present this very gently to you. Now, see, I I shouldn't be saying this because I, as a priest, I celebrate or can celebrate mass pretty much every day of my life. So, doing right. the first Friday of nine consecutive months isn't too difficult for me. It's kind of expected, but right. no, I get it though. For a layperson, I mean, it's hard. You, you have to make, you have to be very intentional about it. Otherwise, well, there's not a lot of mass offerings on Fridays. Yeah. First of all, yeah. you yeah. got to be able to, you, you got to be able to hit the mark and, right. and not have, you know, uh, conferences and meetings going on. Right. That whole exactly. Thing. Exactly. But the thing that really, I mean, the thing that touches me about all this um, is the piece on reparations. And I I, mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody ignores this, but it's something that I had, had not paid a lot of attention to mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. But the call, I mean, the call for the Sacred Heart of Jesus is, is not just to pour love on us, but for us to make reparations um, for the 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 offenses against uh, against him and right and 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 then the reparations against the offenses against uh, the blessed mother right right um and 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 you know and I'll, I've had conversations with people who are very devout and they'd be like we need to make reparations and they're like I didn't do anything wrong yeah it's like well okay well <laughs> whose sins did he die for right I mean all of right. ours so. Yeah, no, I'm in fact, glad Jesus didn't have that attitude. I know, yeah, amen. Yeah, one of the one of the very last actually, one of the very last apparitions to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque from Jesus in I think it was June of 1675. He says very explicitly, um, and I'm I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing here, but he basically says that the reason he wants uh, reparation to this heart is because of the fact that um, it has been so often wounded and mistreated and ignored by people and so i think if we can remember that that yes not only did the 
the people who actually tortured and persecute Jesus treat him in a very, you know, offensive and, uh, and destructive way. But all, all of us through our sin have wounded the heart of Christ. And so we all have, now, he, obviously he goes to his death freely and willingly and lovingly for us. But nonetheless, it's good for us to be reminded that we can um, make acts of reparation, uh, not that we're trying to, by ourselves, earn uh, grace or earn our way to heaven, but just recognizing that if I really love the Lord, and if I know that I've hurt him or offended him, then it's natural that I would want to do whatever I can in my own small way to show him that I love him and that uh, I don't want to offend him in the future. You know, in the same way that, you know, and again, you said in the last po- podcast, you like when I sometimes invoke um, the analogy or metaphor of marriage, but I would say that too. You know, if, if you know you've really hurt your spouse, um, you know, you, 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 it's just natural that you're going to want to not just say I'm sorry, but maybe bring home flowers or do something to, uh, as a tangible sign of your sorrow and your love. And I think that's all we're talking about here. It's not some kind of, uh, you know, horrible uh, mortification that's all about hating ourselves. It's, it's, it's all done for love and out of love. No, but I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to push back a little bit. All right, this, go for it. Um, because I think that as yes, we can we can find times in our lives that that we've sinned and we we've heard Jesus, um, and we've heard the Blessed Mother, um, but we also need to keep in mind that there there needs to be reparations for people who, in this day, do it intentionally. Yeah, who destroy statues, who sure. mock the belief in Jesus Christ, sure, sure. who who you know literally but, yeah, hate totally, Christ totally. Yeah. And, and reparations need to be done. If, if you can sit there and be like, well, I don't think I really did anything to hurt Jesus this week. You can still make reparations for all these other offenses that Correct. happen Correct. all the time and are, are, I think, are growing. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't contradict anything that I mentioned. It's just that you're adding, you're, you're, you're enlarging my point, which is good. It's not, not just about our own sins. It's about offenses that other people may have committed and like you said i think they are increasing in this day and age especially in the west um so amen that's good and and you do you talk about um you know you compare it to marriage and or or you compare it to or you could compare it to having children and and if somebody was to if somebody else was to hurt my wife mm-hmm. or do something that that deeply wounded her um I would want to make reparations to her for that yeah, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want her to suffer. Right. And and whatever I could do to help heal that hurt, I'm going to do because I love the woman. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. And, and and that's that's the same and that's where I run into Catholics that um there's a disconnect on that with with the Catholics that I talk to sometimes about mm-hmm. reparations. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you love jesus as you profess you want to do everything that you can to to console um, him comfort yeah yeah to console him right right i was um and this is i don't mean to stray off subject and you can tell me to cut this out if you want me to um but i was uh early on uh this was a few months ago i just and you know that i've been doing um adoration an hour of adoration every week and i've been doing it um, like at 1 a.m. on Saturday morning, and, mm-hmm. 
Um, it's it's nice because usually I'm the only one that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a real personal time. But you know, I I'm old, so I'm <laughs> tired when I get there a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. And I, there was one time that I was sitting there, and I was just like, I was like, gosh, you know, this is a I, I can't remember what I'm supposed to be praying for or who I'm supposed to be uh, holding in my heart during my time in adoration and mm-hmm. getting frustrated with all that. And then I got this overwhelming sense of um, don't worry about that. You mm-hmm. being here is mm-hmm. a comfort to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that got reinforced like two weeks ago when my pastor said the exact same thing about adoration. It's yeah. like you're there to be a comfort to Jesus. Right. And, and uh, you know, I think that finding a way to make the the, um, the first Friday commitment mm-hmm. does exactly the same thing. It, yeah. pro- it provides comfort. And isn't it amazing that God himself, who is perfect, who doesn't need us, you know, you, you could just go on and on with all the lists of, um, uh, you know, qualities, infinite, blah, 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 but the same God... Uh, actually, well, he doesn't need us. He does allow us to comfort him, to bring him consolation. I mean, that's an awesome thing. And I think about, again, Jesus's passion and how he let the women of Jerusalem walk with him. He let Veronica wipe his sweaty and bloody brow. He let Simon of Cyrene help carry his cross. And then, of course, while he's hanging on the cross, uh, his mother and St. John, the beloved, are there and just their being there, even though they couldn't really do much, just their presence would have been a source of great comfort to him. And so, yes, today Jesus is risen from the dead. He's got a glorified body. But isn't it cool that um, even today in his risen glorified state, uh, he does suffer uh, for humanity. We, we, we know that um, in the artistic depictions of the glorified Christ, the wounds are still there. They're not erased. Um, they aren't like scars that that disappear. They're they're still wounds. So I really like what you're saying, Jim. You know, just by making those sacrifices, like going to the adoration chapel at that hour of the night, or you know, we could multiply the the examples. But whatever we do, which may seem insignificant to us, but it actually brings comfort to Jesus Christ. I mean, if we if we really pondered that, it would it would. Sp- Spur us to do these things to be like, wow, this this really matters to Jesus. It's not just about what it does for me, which already is that's important too. But it's what I can actually do for Him. Right. So, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the Immaculate Heart of Mary too, because we've been focusing a lot on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And sure. um, you know, we mentioned that now, especially those two hearts are kind of joined because of the fact that the feasts fall just one day apart. Um, you know, Mary's heart, when, when you see images of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, it's usually also a heart that is pierced by a sword. Sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes you even see it with seven different seven swords because of the seven sorrows or the seven dolors that are um, associated with her. And I don't know how many, how many people listening would know this, but... Um, we traditionally talk about Mary's seven sorrows. Uh, one of the parishes I was responsible for on the Pine Ridge Reservation when I was a pastor for a couple of years was Our Lady of Sorrows. So just to run through them quickly, it's the prophecy of Simeon. So that's when he announces you know, to Mary that a sword is going to pierce your heart. He's already anticipating this uh, 
the little baby Jesus is, you know, she's already being told that he's going to be uh, experiencing his passion. So there's that moment of the prime prophecy of Simon. Then there's, of course, the flight into Egypt when Joseph and Mary take the baby to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. The third sorrow is the loss of the child Jesus in the temple. So you remember those three mm-hmm. days where they're filled with anxiety? That would have weighed heavily on her heart. The fourth one is um, Mary meeting Jesus on the Via Dolorosa. Now, that's not explicitly uh, stated in the New Testament, but, um, you know, it's, it's part of that tradition that among the people who would have encountered Jesus on his, on his way to Calvary would have been his mother. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fifth sor- sorrow is, of course, the crucifixion itself on Mount Calvary. And then the last two is Jesus being taken down from the cross. We have that beautiful image of the Pieta by Michelangelo that we all know and love. And then finally, the burial of Jesus by Joseph of Arimathea. You know, again, what mother uh, would not be grief-stricken to have to bury uh, a child, uh, you know, in this case, a son? So, so I think the focus of the Immaculate Heart of Mary devotion is kind of on partly on her sorrows, but it's also just on her interior life. You know, when we think about today, when we use we use the heart a lot to talk about um, just things that are profound to us, like you know, we'll say we got to get you know we got to take something to heart, or or we have to get to the heart of the matter. You know, we're talking about something that's like the most interior or the greatest depth. So the Immaculate Heart of Mary also is, is not just focused on her, her seven sorrows, but on her hidden life, her interior life. You know, um, in Luke chapter 2, we read that phrase that Mary kept all these things in her heart. So Mary was a woman who was often uh, pondering the deep things of God and her own role in salvation history. And so I think it's an invitation to us, too, to like, Go deep into our hearts, you know, to, to live a life of prayer, to ponder and meditate on the deep mysteries of God, you know, that we, we so easily get ourselves distracted by superficial concerns and by the things of the world. And so I think the Immaculate Heart of Mary is for us an invitation to become more like recollected and prayerful people, which my God, look at our, I mean, our society today, it's so frenetic and busy and noisy that we, you know, we all need more of that. So... Yeah. And hateful. And and hateful, too, right? It's just a crazy world right now. Right, right. You know, I mentioned that I had been in Paris uh, for those three years of studies, and, and the Jesuit school that I went to was, was literally like a stone's throw from a little chapel um, where um, another saint, St. Catherine Labouret, was uh, given the gift of this miraculous medal. This was in, in the year 1830. And it's a little chapel on the Rue de Bac. It's the street name. And, uh, and, and I don't know, it's countless millions of these medals have now been struck and, and are found all around the world. But um, that miraculous medal has um, a large M, and, like, sticking into the M is a cross. And so that's a symbol of Mary standing at the foot of the cross of her son. Mm-hmm. And then it has... On the, on the miraculous medal, on the back of it, it has two hearts. It has the sacred heart of Jesus, and then it has the uh, immaculate heart of Mary pierced by a sword. So I say that just because that might be something that maybe even some of the people listening uh, wear around their neck or at least have seen. And uh, that was another, that whole miraculous medal phenomena was something that also resulted in, in the promotion, uh, more widespread promotion of the uh, devotion to the heart of Mary and, and the Sacred Heart. Um, 
So anyway, yeah, I think it's it's just great that we're able to, you know, have this as part of our Catholic. You know, we Catholics are so um, into like tactile things. You know, the rosary or the devotions. We we like to take the invisible and the kind of intangible spiritual truths, and we like to enflesh them and incarnate them in, in, in rituals and liturgy and devotions. And I think that that is like so consistent with our nature as human beings because the deepest things in our hearts, the deepest things in our lives, they want to take outward expression somehow. And that's just how we're made. We're, we're a body and soul unity. We're not just, you know, invisible souls floating around. So, so I think these devotions are ways that we can express our our faith, and also deepen our faith by making it more tangible for ourselves. And as, as, as much as I love our Christian Protestant brothers and sisters, these are the, these are the kind of things that just escape them. Yeah, yeah, kind of, they're very distinctively Catholic, that's true. That's true. I mean, this is, this is such a benefit to, and when people, when people ask the question, it's like, well, why are you Catholic? I mean, this this is one of the answers right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. is the ability to, um, and it's it's not you know people people misinterpret this so right. often. Right, right. Well, and and in their defense, sometimes individuals or even groups within our Catholic tradition, you know, sometimes we can, you know, get either to we kind of go to an extreme with certain things, or we we don't you know purify them enough, and and so I can see where other groups looking from outside might think that we like worship statues or that we're overly, you know, invested in some of these devotions. But, you know, obviously the devotions are there to support our primary faith and commitment in Jesus Christ and so forth. But but you're right. I think people, it's, it's easy from the outside to kind of misinterpret and misunderstand what we're doing. Um, but uh, and maybe, maybe their critiques are a good kind of like check on our own practices and, and, and it's good for us to be kind of have to say, well, you're right. You know, I'm, I got to make sure I'm doing this in the right way, but, but at, at its best, I think our devotional life is just, I mean, it just, just practice people's experience shows that it really helps people to, uh, to become more in love with Jesus and Mary, you know? So, yeah. Well, I agree. I think this is probably a good time for us to tie things up, Father, yeah, because I agree. my wife is it's... starting to practice her French horn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be your dog that was going to have to. Uh, no, cut I don't the know if it's being or... heard, but uh, she is. Uh, she's she's got uh, a metalist band uh, concert tomorrow night, so she needs to practice. Well, hey, we've we've gone forty six minutes, so I think that's a good. And we want to do a little. Let's save a couple of minutes now for a product that you're going to tell us about. Right. So, um, this is, um, there's a movie out um, called Outcasts. Um, my boss has asked me to watch this because she wants to try to do something similar for the village of Bwambo in Tanzania, which is a tall ask, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> anyway, the, um, the director of this and the producer is a guy named Michael Campo uh, with Grassroots Films. And if you haven't heard of him, um, he's done a ton. All of his films are just Catholic based. They're just, uh, mm-hmm. and they're all practical. Like, um, here's, here's a relational, a relatable way to, um, do things like, uh, you know, the, the pro-life movement or the call to the priesthood or things like that. And also, 
Um, I had the opportunity to um, talk and, and have a bunch of conversations with Michael Campo years ago. And just couldn't be a nicer guy. It would be mm. if anybody knows him and, and tell him that we're talking about him. Okay. Um, After me, though, you're right. I mean, obviously, you're talking about like, like I'm the, the nicest, nicest guy, guy, you know, and then he would be like a close second. I don't second. know, man. You were a little mean today. I don't know. <laughs> I may have to take you down on <laughs> the whole iPhone calendar, blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway. yeah, but being nice doesn't just mean being sweet. Sometimes being the nice and loving thing is to, is to be a little little bit, you know, calling to tent. Can I promote right. this? Go ahead. Thing, yeah, go ahead because we're running out of time. <laughs> So, um, there's a new movie out that he has called, it's not that new, it's a yeah. couple of years old, but it's called Outcast, and mm-hmm. I just discovered it. It's, it's it, the way that the grassroots film usually would do it, uh, uh, their, their films and their, their screenings, they would campaign for people to set up screenings in their hometown, and they are doing that with this one too. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can set up a campaign, you can reach out to uh, grassroots films. And say, hey, I want to have a screening of your of your movie at one of the theaters in town. Um, you know, how do I how do I go about doing that? You can do that. You can also, um, and I'll put the link in our description. Um, you can rent. You can you can stream it on your computer or on your iPad or wherever you want. It's five ninety nine for a stream, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's uh, it's well worth it. Michael Campbell is a, is a wonderful filmmaker, and and. I love the fact that he's dedicated to just doing uh, things all related to Catholicism. Excellent. Yeah, this I think this highlights. You said did you mention the Franciscan friars? The it does. This yeah. this one highlights the Franciscan friars. It's it's it, it's. I've got to watch it before yeah. I see my boss tomorrow. Um, but uh, I know from just my past experiences with his films um, that that this is absolutely worth the watch, watch and worth uh, paying five ninety nine. Right. Maybe not six dollars. No, but definitely five ninety five ninety nine. Excellent, excellent. No, I'm going to watch it. I, I've actually I've heard about it from numerous people over the last couple of years, and I just never have gotten around to watching it. But now that we've well, talked about it, that, you know, I will do five ninety nine. You can get all the seminarians to watch it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Be a good thing. All right. Well, thanks for alerting us to that. Have you gotten any news from our listeners? Well, you know what? I wanna, I wanna shout, have a shout out to Christy because um, I posted our latest podcast, our last one on the Trinity, on my, on my Facebook page, and Christy wrote, "This is one of my new favorite podcasts. Great job!" So, Christy, we're very grateful for the feedback. And hi, Christy. We, we certainly encourage anybody out there to let us know if you're listening and what you think. If you have some topics, too. You know, Jim and I are only so creative, and we're, we've been doing this for a while. So if you have some ideas, something you'd like us to uh, banter about that would be helpful to you, by all means, uh, share your thoughts with us. And prayer intentions. If and you, if prayer you, uh, intentions, yes. All you have to do is write us at, you can, you can post it on Father Rob's page which is fine. Um, you could email us at mail at toourgathered.com, mm-hmm. the number two, the letter R, gathered.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can you can do it that way too. and um, Or just be like Christy and just post on Father Rob's page. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's fantastic. Whatever, whatever works best, we'll, we'll, <laughs> as long as we get the information. So, great. And Christy is uh, one of our uh, favorite uh, listeners. So there you go. <laughs> Def- definitely. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Shall we we pray for his father? Let's do that. Let's do that. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit, we pause now at the end of this podcast so that we can praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, We're especially grateful today to you, Jesus, and to you, Blessed Mother, and for your love and compassion and mercy that is shown in your sacred heart and in your immaculate heart. Please keep us close to your hearts. Uh, Help us to be placed there so that our own hearts can be more deeply conformed to yours. And I ask that the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Especially Christy. Especially Christy. <laughs> Very good. All right, Jim. Well, look forward to talking with you again soon. And uh, all of our listeners, have a wonderful week. Yep. You guys take care. Thanks for listening.